1: Hi, I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And we're the co-hosts of Stuff You Missed in History Class. We
0: are a history
1: podcast that tries to look at the things that maybe were overlooked in your history classes, maybe not covered in as much detail, or frankly, maybe covered in a way that was not accurate. New episodes come out every Monday and Wednesday on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else that podcasts can be listened to. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And last week, Caroline and I were so honored to attend the first ever White House Summit on the United State of Women. So we wanted to devote an episode to
0: tell y'all all about this massive event that we went to it really was massive unexpectedly so i didn't really know what to expect uh looking at uh their website and all the promotional stuff for the event i knew it was going to be amazing i knew there were going to be some incredible women there um covering some very important topics to women today and really to our modern society today um (laughs) But imagine my surprise when I showed up and there were 5,000 people there. Yeah.
1: So this was organized by the White House Council on Women and Girls, whose whole mission is to, quote unquote, empower women's voices so that our priorities are considered in every agency and in every one of the administration's policies and programs and pieces of legislation we support, which is great. So... (laughs) With the Obama administration on its way out, um, the Council on Women and Girls invited 5,000 women and a few men <laughs> to the Washington, D.C. Convention Center for this summit that really covered every single women and gender relevant issue that you could think of.
0: Yeah, it was really heartening to see the degree of intersectionality uh, included in this conference, not only did virtually every person on stage recognize the tragedy that had happened in Orlando just a few days prior to the summit, but issues of race, class, sexual orientation, gender, uh, socioeconomics, all of these issues were touched on because what I was so happy to see was that everyone involved, it seems, recognizes that you can't make lasting and significant change without all of us coming together. And so that was something really beautiful to see at this conference. Also, I, I might have cried when Obama talked.
1: Yeah, President Obama gave uh, one of the most inspiring and tear-jerking speeches of yeah, my uh, hands hurt from clapping of <laughs> his presidency. And as soon as he left, of course, as as typically happens at mostly women conferences, there was a rush for the bathroom. <laughs> 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 and standing in line All of these women from all around the country and all different (laughs) backgrounds and from all different uh, types of places, whether it's nonprofits or um, corporations, media, et cetera, were almost stunned by what had been said in terms of seeing (laughs) the president of the United States delivering such a directly feminist and intersectionally feminist talk that didn't feel like it was just kind of a boilerplate yeah women deserve equal rights but actually digging into the legacy of women um in the united states and like all of the activism that has come before us and we're we're gonna get more into some of the rad stuff that obama said but caroline one thing that I was surprised was never mentioned mm-hmm. at all at the summit, which was hailed as a historic moment, was the fact that, yes, it was historic, but it's not the first time this has happened.
0: Yeah, exactly. There was an important detail left out, which is that thousands of, again, mostly women, have converged before on a national scale to discuss pillars um, a number of pillars that are important to tackle, including things like uh the gender wage gap, domestic violence, reproductive rights, on and on. And, yeah, I was also surprised that that wasn't mentioned at all, not even as an inspiration or, like, you know, in the spirit of the 70s. Um, here we are again today in this giant conference room. Because, you know, the White House loves just being all,
1: like, <laughs> spirit of the 70s, y'all. yeah Groovy. <laughs> Obama's a real groovy dude. He is. Well, he is. Seriously, though.
0: He's He's a groovy dude.
1: It's true. Um, So for the first half of the podcast, we do want to offer that historical context of the 1977 National Women's Conference, which is a seminal moment in second wave feminism that I have a hunch a lot of folks aren't aware of. And in the second half of the podcast... We're going to turn our focus back to the summit that Caroline and I just came back from to kind of see how the two compare and maybe give us a benchmark of where we've come from and what progress we've made since then. So let's go back in time. Let's put on our our bell bottoms and fringed vests (laughs) and our glorious Steinem aviator sunglasses. I
0: know. I should have worn my my flares today. Yeah.
1: Missed opportunity. That's what I say every day. But the great thing about podcasting, Caroline, mm-hmm. is that it's all theater of the mind. That's
0: right. You can imagine us in our vests and bell bottoms. Yes. And Perfect. like, I'm rocking a, like a cool belt too, the big, big belt buckle. Totally. I don't know if that was something they did in the seventies, but I'm sure. No, I know for a fact that people did wear belts. Oh. Yeah. Excellent. You so, know everything,
1: Caroline. It is amazing. Uh, a real side note, speaking of 70s belts, I actually do. I also know that people wore belts in the 70s because I found a belt of my uh, dad's when I was a kid from way back in the day that had his name emblazoned on it. Nice. I know. I'm like, I need to get one of those for me.
0: My dad, I grew up with my dad wearing a very specific, fancy uh, belt. It was leather, and it had things carved into it. Whoa. I don't know what he did with it. I, I wonder if he uh, had to get rid of it like he had to get rid of his white leisure suit. Oh. Sally. You know, R.I.P. Lays down the law. Also, listeners, surprise, uh, this isn't an episode about
1: Women's Summits, but rather our, <laughs> our dad's belts <laughs> collections. <laughs> so that's, that's not strange. Um, <laughs> now, before we get to 1977, and that National Women's Conference in observance of International Women's Year, which is its full and rather clunky official name. We've got to hop back a couple years to 1975 when the United Nations got things started by declaring 75 International Women's Year. And it's kind of funny to me that they were like, yeah, 75, it's International Women's Year oh, wait, like, gender equality
0: is so non-existent. Let's make it a whole decade. (laughs) I feel like it's just easier to ignore when you stretch things out like that. Mm -hmm. Like, less of a concentrated punch. Like, oh, well, that's a year. That's a very brief time to accomplish things, and let's... Let's stretch it out to a decade. We'll just tell them it's in honor of women, but really it just means we have to do less. And we're just gonna do a slow fade. Yeah, (laughs) over (laughs) as we get into the eighties for ten years. (laughs) Yeah. And so in 75, isn't this the same year? Didn't we talk about International Women's Year in our episode on the strike in Iceland? Yes, we did. Yeah. And there was it might have been in
1: 75 or maybe it was in 79. Sometime in the mid to late 70s, there was a similar women's strike in the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. So ladies were getting fed up with some stuff. (laughs) So I mean, so to speak, so to speak, putting
0: it lightly. (laughs) Right. So in 1975, as part of International Women's Year, U.S. President Ford, Gerald Ford, created the National Commission on the Observance of International Women's Year. So, you know, not getting creative with the title, uh, to, quote, promote equality between men and women. Hey, that's, that's good
1: on you, Ford. Seems seems like a basic thing. Yeah, it's good. Why not create a commission? Good place to start to promote Uh, Now, if we then jump to 1977, you know, I can't tell you what necessarily happened in those two years, what tangible things came out of Ford's commission. Uh, But then Jimmy Carter is elected. Old Jimmy Carter, peanut farmer from Georgia. (laughs) Um, Carter gets into office and he... wants to do another commission on women so he creates a new national commission on women and he appoints state representative bella abzug who is a democrat from new york to co-chair this new commission and if you haven't heard of bella abzug before she is one of the, the primary leaders of second wave feminism and she always wore a signature hat and she was a real
0: firebrand. Mm-hmm. So she always looks like she's about to go on an exploration, which I appreciate. Yes, yes, she does. And she made it on the cover of
1: Life magazine sometime around then. Which uh, you know, it was like a close up of her, you know, mid speech, looking yes, like she was maybe <laughs> about to strike out on a trail somewhere. Um, with her signature, I believe it was a red hat uh, with Life magazine proclaiming like. Women's equality and feminism, this thing is happening. Um, and she was like a, a big deal because she was actually in the government. So she had more, you know, leverage to try to make some of these changes, these more gender equitable changes happen. And in the process of that, she successfully sponsored a bill to hold this national women's conference. And Congress allocated five million dollars for state and national meetings open
0: to women over 16. I can't. Even imagine. I mean, I can imagine this gathering happening. I can imagine because we literally were just a part of it. I can imagine thousands of women and a couple of dudes coming together and talking about gender equity and feminism and, and intersectionality. Um, I cannot, however, in today's political climate, imagine Congress being like, yeah, here's a couple mil. Uh, have at it, ladies. Figure out this equality thing. Yeah. Do your thing. Hang out. Uh, Well, it was huge news
1: because this was the first and only, up until this White House summit we just came back from, the first and only national women's conference
0: sponsored by the federal government. Mm -hmm. All right. And so here's how it went down. Here's what happened. It wasn't just like a quick one off, like let's have a meeting and we're going to fix society. Because obviously, Kristen and I still have a podcast we're talking about issues that have not been resolved. So between February and July of 1977, a very groovy time for sure, between about 130 and 150,000 women across this fine country attended 56 state meetings to elect national conference delegates and debate 16 resolutions suggested by the National Commission on the Observance of Interna- International Women's Year. See, I can't even... I it's can't a, even say it. Yeah, it's, it's it's quite a mouthful. So many words. Yeah. Why don't they have an acronym? Well, they probably do. I mean, I could make it. Um, but yeah, they they elected uh, just over two thousand delegates.
1: So I love though, Caroline, that there were many conferences leading up to this conference, which probably had to do with the non-existence of websites and Twitter.
0: Yeah. You got to get everybody on board, but also
1: it's during this era too, with second wave feminism. I mean, we were all about meeting in person anyway, no websites, no websites. You got to get together and you got to vote people in. And, uh, It was noted in one of our sources. I think it might have been over at PBS because there's a whole documentary about this called Sisters of 77. And uh, it noted that around 20 percent of the state elected
0: delegates were not feminists. Yeah. And they were mostly from states that would not ratify the ERA. Yes. So a lot
1: of states in the South. As you might imagine, um, so you have all these mini meetings, and then the 2005 official delegates who are chosen. So this national conference, A.K.A. Nikoiwa, <laughs> sure, yeah, was tasked with formulating and passing a national plan of action based
0: on state-level recommendations. I mean, it is a very bureaucratic process. Sure, and yet these were still only to be suggestions, of course. These were not official policy, as we see again this year with the State of Women Summit and the Council on Women and Girls. These are all suggestions. These are not official policies. We would love them to be official policies, she says aggressively. Well,
1: you know what else was aggressive, Caroline? What? The final plan that these sisters of 77 came up with, Um they highlighted 26 different planks, mm-hmm. as they call them, centered on. All right. Hold, hold, hold on. Here we go. Centered on. Get ready for, Bullet for a la- laundry list time. Arts and humanities. Domestic violence, or as they called it back in the day, battered women. Women owned businesses, child abuse, child care. Credit, disability, education and Title IX, getting more women into political office, the Equal Rights Amendment, health insurance, more economic security for so-called homemakers, uh, eliminating insurance gender bias, including more women in State Department and the Department of Defense. Better representation in media, uh, more rights for women of color, post-incarceration, rehabilitation for female prisoners, uh, older women, rape, because at the time, laws did not recognize marital rape. I mean, this is consider consider that for a minute. You also have reproductive freedom. Attention to rural women, lesbian rights, uh, a call for federal agencies to collect statistics relevant to women in all of these different planks, as well as welfare and poverty.
0: Whew, That's a lot of planks. You, is... c- you could put a floor down with that <laughs> no, or build a ship. Uh, you could build a whole uh, whole menstrual hut
1: <laughs> with all those with all those planks. perhaps
0: if she shed. Oh wow. <laughs> We could work from home in our she shed minstrel hut with all those planks. Eh, I'm sheltering under equality. I love it. Caroline,
1: I'm honestly kind of surprised that there wasn't some kind, of, some kind of some some sort of feminist edifice built at this event because it was so ceremonial and symbolic. Like these sisters of 77 took this conference So seriously. And I don't mean to sound mocking at all. It's just it it
0: was just a really, really big deal. I mean, like Olympic style, big deal. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's like the frickin feminist Olympics, because on September 29th, 1977, they lit a torch at Seneca Falls. And Seneca Falls is significant because it was the site of America's first women's rights convention back in 1848. And they ran it relay style all the way to Houston, which was where the conference was taking place. Right. They didn't just. Yeah, they were just like, <laughs> like we're done. <laughs> well, we're in Houston. Uh. <laughs> well, when in Houston. I I don't know. Sit sit on the highway. Yeah. I guess. Um Yeah, and Maya Angelou even wrote a new declaration of sentiments to accompany this event. I love it. And and that torch did not just get thrown off the side of a highway in <laughs>
1: Houston, thank goodness. It was presented at the conference to first ladies, Rosalind Carter, Lady Bird Johnson, and Betty Ford to officially open the National Conference. I love that. All these first ladies? Yeah. And apparently they each got up and spoke about their lives as individual women and not solely as the wives of prominent politicians as the media usually framed them.
0: Well, I think what I love even more, thinking about that image of all of those first ladies together, those big names in the American government, I mean... Second wave feminism, these women were considered so radical. They were considered almost anti-American, anti-family for a lot of the very common sense reforms that they were seeking. I mean, the idea of making it easier for women to go to work and make a paycheck and still have quality child care that was slammed as anti-family. And so to have. These first ladies there in solidarity. I mean, I think that speaks volumes.
1: Well, and as one of the papers I was looking at um, noted, this was really the first time that second wave feminism was put on such a public platform. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people around the country had never seen anything like this before. Um, I mean, and even though you did have some anti-feminists in the crowd, and you you certainly had women like Phyllis Schlafly, Leading the charge outside protesting their quote unquote, oh, Phyllis, their quote unquote anti-family platforms. Um, it was considered a real victory moment Mm -hmm. for feminists and also, too, a sign of progress for how far they had come in the diversity of the crowd and the diversity of the planks addressing not just, uh, upper middle class white women's needs, but also recognizing, uh, lesbians, women of color, women with disabilities, and so forth.
0: Right. Huge deal, because so often when you hear about second wave feminism, especially if you're not breaking it down and talking about all the nitty gritty stuff in the movement, you typically tend to hear it referred to as an upper class white women's movement. That has left out so many people of color, people of different socioeconomic standing. So the fact that there were so many different types of women at this conference was a huge milestone. Now, Caroline, there were 5,000 people
1: in that convention center last week. Imagine, though... In 1977, there were 20,000 women at that conference.
0: Imagine the bathroom lines at that one. Oh, wow. Oh, and we should also, can
1: we take a quick, okay. So (laughs) um, people who follow us on Instagram, at Stuff Mom Never Told You, probably already know this, but one highlight of the uh, United States of Women's Summit was that you had the women's restroom and then the other restroom was designated all genders. And it was, it was fantastic. It was great. Because A, totally kept the lines manageable. It did. And I intentionally used the all genders restroom, um, both times just because I kind of wanted to see how other women re- would react to using, you know, what would normally be the men's restroom, but also react to how, um, the, few men in at the conference reacted and the women were like, it was like no difference whatsoever. And I caught like the terrified gazes Uh of, of a couple of men there who just, you could tell they just weren't entirely sure if it was
0: okay that they were in there too, yeah. Well, and of
1: course, th- some of them were like, "No, it's fine. It's all genders. No big deal."
0: Yeah, there were baskets of tampons and pads on the uh, bathroom counters. Yeah, calling for an end to the tampon tax and for for free tampons. Well, so what's interesting though is so that was all downstairs because I also used that bathroom. Well, I used I used all the bathrooms. I used a lot of bathrooms. Uh, so many bathrooms. Um. But upstairs at the conference center, it didn't have one of the bathrooms I went to at least did not have the same sign outside that designated women and then all gender. And so the women are obviously very good at following directions because there was this huge line outside the women's room. And, of course, no line for the men's room. And I just I was sitting there because I was waiting for you after one of our sessions. And I was sitting there watching and I watched the, like, victorious Liberation moment as this woman was like, screw this, I'm going into the men's room. And there was a male janitor standing outside the bathroom and he goes, whoa, wait, no, 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 no. Cause I guess he hadn't gotten the memo. Uh huh. And she was like, she basically did the talk to the hand motion and just walked right on in there. And he, he, I looked at the guy and he, he just shrugged and was like, I don't. I don't know what to do with these women. Oh, man. The revolution
1: starts at the toilet. <laughs> right. So back to <laughs> 1977, though, um, where who knows what the bathroom situation there was? I wonder if there were all gender bathrooms. Probably not. I hope they had enough snacks. Oh, man. That's a big concern that's, that's for me. Groovy snacks. Um, we wanted to note, though, that some of the organizers of this huge event um, include and Richards, who uh, would go on to become the governor of Texas, who is a huge feminist. Um, and her daughter, Cecile Richards, is the president of Planned Parenthood now. Gloria Steinem, of course. Gloria Steinem was also at the uh, the White House summit last week. Hispanic civil rights leader Carmen Delgado Votal, and many others. And like the state meetings, there were debates over all of these planks Mm -hmm. and how they were going to hash out this final plan. And some of the planks were just, you know, unanimously agreed on.
0: Oh, wait, only one was unanimously. Only one received unanimous support, and that was an end to discrimination in consumer credit practices. Several others received a majority of support, but that was the only unanimously supported ones. But there were others that were super hotly debated. And you can probably guess
1: which ones they were abortion and lesbian rights in particular aroused the most debate. Um, but I did notice that domestic violence was ended up being one of the most important topics that they talked about. So that was probably something huge that came out of this conference. Um, and, and also huge too, even though not everyone agreed <laughs> On reproductive rights and on the recognition of people of different sexual orientations of the, you know, the LGB community at this time, because I don't even think the T was really even recognized by this point. Um, but it was still a major
0: moment of inclusion for women of color in particular. Yeah. Jane Hickey discussing this moment in history in the PBS documentary Sisters of 77 said, I don't believe that Anglo women had heard directly express those sorts of frustrations from other women who were Mexican-American or Puerto Rican-American, Latinas ever before. I mean, like we said, this is the this was such an inclusive moment in the second wave feminist movement.
1: Yeah. and, And women of color there criticized. The American women's movement, you know, helmed by a, a lot of upper middle class white women like, say, a Betty for Dan for overlooking their interests and intersectionalities. And they had a captive audience, really, for the first time ever, like Hickey said. Um, so this huge conference happens and they agree on all of these planks. And as a result, in 1978, President Carter establishes the National Advisory Committee for Women Based on those conference recommendations. And again, Bella Abzug is
0: put uh installed as the the chairperson for it. I'm glad we're finally getting our names for things to be a little shorter. It's whittling it down. So now it's just NACWA. <laughs> NACWA. Um and in 1978 also the Senate approved a three-year extension for the ERA ratification because at the time they were still three states short. Of getting it ratified. Unfortunately, uh, the three-year extension would not be long enough because the
1: ERA has still not been ratified. But that's for another podcast at another time. (laughs) So the question is, though, did it make a difference? Did this symbolic mass gathering of women and mostly feminists make any kind of impact in Washington and beyond?
0: Nah. Can we say meh? Is that an answer? Yeah,
1: I think meh is kind of the answer.
0: I think it helped, obviously, get the conversation started. I mean, how could it not? You've got all of these meetings on the local, state, and now national level. So it did, for sure, open some dialogue. But it's not that we got significant, lasting policy changes out of it across the board.
1: Yeah, I mean, you also have to remember how few, and still, but even fewer, women were in congress at the time and a lot of male legislators seemed to approach the conference as like, you know, what, let's just give them 5 million dollars, let them have their little thing. Mm-hmm. Um I forget who was saying this, um but there was the perception by some male politicians that it was going to be a tea party.
0: Yeah. And I mean, so while it didn't have huge Policy effect necessar- necessarily, it did have uh, a very beneficial psychic effect, for lack of a better word, for a lot of women involved. Anna Quinlan, who covered the conference as it was happening, uh, has looked back and said that the meeting did obliterate the two walls that have always divided women and made them blame themselves for their own lack of status isolation and silence. So those meetings, because again, no websites. No website, no website, none, Um, not even GeoCities (laughs) website, not even not even a live journal in the house. Um, (laughs) I mean, we've seen what Twitter hashtag activism can do. So just imagine back in the day, these women are finally able to really talk to each other on this level about these hugely important issues. And so of course that's a powerful moment to realize, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Look at how many thousands of other women want to talk about this. So while Congress made little to no
1: effort to enact any of those twenty-six action plan points that they hashed out, Gloria Steinem and others saw the glass half full. So Steinem once said, quote, the all too familiar voting and money concentrations in this country often allowed the right wing to stop us at the government. asking daddy level, but we were and still are strengthened enormously at the populist global bottom-up doing-it-for-yourselves level. So it seems like in a way the outcome of it was not necessarily um, an energizing from the top down, but rather from the bottom-up at the grassroots level of like, okay, well, we're all together here, and clearly we're just going to have to keep working for all of these things that need to happen.
0: Right, and part of why – women would still have to band together to try to make these changes happen is because in 1979, Carter ends up dismissing Abzug from the National Advisory Committee on Women, NACWA, uh, after she'd repeatedly criticized the White House for cutting funding to social programs while amping up military spending. And so basically the straw that broke the camel's back in this situation is that this commission then issued a critical press release of the White House and their policies.
1: Yeah, so once the press release was found out about, Carter kicks Abzug out, um, and already the tension had been growing because Bella Abzug and her fellow commission members like felt increasingly ignored because mm-hmm. they were would request meetings with the president and they would kind of be put off and put off and put off. Um, and after... President Carter dismisses Abzug from her position, more than half of the remaining committee members resigned in protest. Um, And this whole incident is what Gloria Steinem nicknamed the Friday Night Massacre. (laughs) Wow, it's an intense nickname. Um, But it's notable that after that, the National Advisory Committee on Women Becomes the more reined in sounding President's Advisory Committee for Women. So essentially, explicitly saying, okay, you're the President's Advisory Committee. You are not to act as an independent body as Abzug and some of those committee members had been before by Mm -hmm. speaking publicly against the administration while simultaneously working for the administration which isn't exactly what you're supposed to do politically.
0: Yeah, it becomes awkward. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, stony silence in some meetings. Awkward throat clearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm, mm. Like this. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's still good, right? Like, there's still a president's advisory committee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that uh, President Carter... Was probably very, you know, committed
1: to women's rights and pro-gender equality. He even recently, you know, came out with a book all about how, um, gender equality in developing nations is like the key to peace. But of course in 1980, Reagan is elected. So dot, 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 dot. It seems like in only three short years, the sisters of 77 are almost swept aside. Um, and I, and I would like to leave us at this point, though, with the lasting image from the Houston conference where uh, it reminds me, Caroline, of Beyonce's uh, MTV Music Awards performance from a couple of years ago where she had feminist uh, in the background. <laughs> They're sitting, all these women, 20,000 women are in this like huge convention hall. And up on the stage, they have woman in huge letters across uh the curtain and then like the the female symbol on either side of it um in 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 a way that that looks so full of hope and promise you know Well, yeah
0: i mean isn't it I, i'm i'm squinting at it right now isn't it the the venus symbol embedded in a dove is that a dove like oh you're right it is a dove i didn't even notice yeah man that's some excellent branding. More symbolism, symbolism <laughs> on top of symbolism.
1: But here it is, woman. She is having her moment. Yeah. Um, and it kind of came and went. Ah. Uh, but those issues remained. You know, the activism around all of those twenty six planks certainly remained. And when we come right back from a quick break, we want to look at uh,
0: some similar themes that came up just last week. So as Kristen and I have talked about on the podcast many times before, the way the world works is changing. Sixty percent of families don't have a stay-at-home parent. Seventy percent of moms and 90 percent of dads are in the workforce right now. And we all need a little help sometimes, whether you're taking care of the kids, taking care of your elderly parents, or in some cases, both. And Care.com is the easy and reliable way to find care for everyone in the family when and where you need it. They give you access to 8.1 million caregivers across 16 countries, and they are the world's largest digital marketplace for care. Families can join for free as a basic member to easily search
1: for great local caregivers. Once you upgrade to a premium membership, you can reach out to caregivers, schedule interviews, and even book and pay for care online or through our app. And the ability to purchase background checks to help you vet the caregivers you're considering hiring can also be done through Care.com. So with that convenient security process in place, including a background check, reference check, qualifications, and certifications, Care.com can provide you with the tools to help you do due diligence when hiring someone to care for loved ones. So to save 30% off a Care.com premium membership and receive a $15 credit that you can use toward paying your caregiver when you use Care.com's convenient payment platform, visit care.com slash momstuff when you
0: subscribe. So don't forget, visit care.com slash momstuff to save 30% off a premium membership and receive a $15 credit that you can use toward paying your caregiver. And now back to the show. Alright, so before we dive into even more juicy gossip, not juicy gossip, just stories, and like fangirling out over the president, uh, so before we dive into like how much we loved attending that summit last week, we've gotta go back to 2009, because it was in March 2009, That the president of the United States signed the executive order for the creation of the White House Council on Women and Girls, because Obama has consistently been a huge supporter of advancing the rights and equality of women and girls. And that executive order from 2009 highlighted issues related to the wage gap, STEM participation, health insurance, violence against women, education and family leave. So really, We're still hearing echoes of the 1970s. And he put Valerie Jarrett in place as chair and Tina Chen as the executive director. And these two women who we heard speak uh, this past week are are fabulous. They are amazing at championing the causes of this council. Well, and one thing that's that is a major contrast
1: to 77 is how Valerie Jarrett is senior advisor to the president. So she is incredibly powerful in the White House. Um, and of course she, like you said, is the chair of this council on women and girls. And the fact that this is coming more from a top down, uh, flow of power rather than women in their individual states getting together to hash things out and then building it up and trying to present it to the government and to Congress to try to enact some legislation is a sign of progress. I would Absolutely argue. And also the fact that in that 2009 executive order, it emphasized the need to essentially pay attention to intersectionality, Mm -hmm. uh, taking into account concerns of women and girls, including, it specifies, women of color and those with disabilities. Although you
0: have kind of the caveat that the functions of this council are advisory only. Regardless, I think it's clear from attending that conference, though, the summit, that everyone in this administration, granted they're on their way out, but is on board with this idea. It's not like they're just paying massively expensive lip service by holding this massive summit. I mean, th- these are these are poly- or these are ideas that the president and vice president and first lady definitely stand behind.
1: Well, and and two, like speaking of uh, the first lady standing behind it, you in 1977, you know, you have the appearance of those three first ladies, um, whereas at this summit last week, FLOTUS was there. Michelle Obama being hilarious, fabulous, wise, et cetera, as, as per as per use. Um But you also have. Vice President Joe Biden, who kicked off the morning, speaking very passionately Mm -hmm. about violence against women um, and uh, speaking out against sexual assault, especially sexual assault on college campuses. You have the president appearing. And in that way, it seems like there is um, a
0: clear emphasis on how gender equality is not just a woman's issue. Correct. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. A, a massive focus on how changes to these issues would not just help and support women, that they would help and support all of us. Because family leave is not just a woman issue. It's not just a mom issue. It's a family issue. And and so is violence, equality, pay. All of these things tie into making our society better, not just a woman's life better. Yeah, I mean... But there are still so many echoes
1: of 77 if you look at the pillars that the White House summit on the United State of Women emphasized, which were violence against women, health and wellness, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship and innovation, education, civic engagement, and leadership. And we should say that under each of those pillars, there were so many, you know, individual topics that were spoken about, um, so many different, um, organizations, uh, and NGOs from around the world and in the United States that were showcased and championed, um, but still we see the recurrent these recurrent issues of still we have issues of uh, girls access to education, especially mm-hmm. in developing nations. Still, obviously, we have issues with reproductive rights even here in our own backyards. We have issues with, you know, sexist barriers to entrepreneurship, the gender wage gap and on and on and on. So this summit, as they noted, was a moment to celebrate progress. Mm hmm but also to remind
0: us of all the work that we have to continue doing into the future. Yeah. And I mean, I, for one was, uh, so glad to hear Joe Biden speaking on violence against women, especially, especially after the role he played in the Anita Hill situation with Clarence Thomas that we covered in our Anita Hill. episode. How he botched it. Yeah. <laughs> How he botched it. And so, I mean, that that warms my cold, dead heart that people can change and that he can then passionately speak on the topic and encourage others to follow suit. Yeah, I mean, like, I,
1: and I agree that it is great to hear the vice president saying all those things, but I was sitting there wanting to yell out so badly, what about Anita Hill? Oh, sure. That's what I was thinking
0: the whole time. Because
1: people can change, but it would be, oh, how incredible it would be if if it weren't such political suicide to take responsibility for... Things in that realm that you speak so passionately about, like, yeah. you know, uh, sexual harassment, sexual
0: violence to take responsibility for when you messed up. Can you imagine if he had said like, I mean, that would have brought my cold, dead heart entirely back to life if he had said, you know, I realized that I played this role in this situation and that I messed it up and I should have done this and this. And I'm sorry.
1: And what an opportunity to do it because yes, you're in front of 5,000 women, but also Carrie Washington, yeah. star of, you know, the confirmation biopic, um, on HBO that she, I think executive produced as well, was also
0: in attendance and
1: looking PS. Hashtag flawless. So
0: good. I mean, Kristen and I, uh, it was, and we were blocked. we couldn't get to her. We wanted to interview her. I have four you guys, like
1: creepy, you know, like uh, stealthy photos of her Me too. On, on my phone um because <laughs> and I know I know this might sound weird, Caroline, but rarely am I in such close proximity to such stunning beauty, And I didn't realize she was in this small press room that we were in when we when we first walked in, and I turned around, and as a fan of scandal. <laughs> who has a major lady crush on Olivia Pope I like did a double take and just lost all of my words and started kind of flailing my hands a little bit until I realized like where I was and that I needed to chill out.
0: Yeah. And then to look over and see Kerry Washington in deep conversation with Billie Jean King. It was like, can I just oh, God, can I just be one of Billie Jean King's sneakers uh, so that I can have access to this conversation? Uh but, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not creepy or anything, um, but yeah, it was fabulous. So were there any sessions or speakers that especially made an impression on you? Yeah. Um, Michaela Ulmer, who is the 11 year old founder and CEO of Me and the Bees Lemonade, which you can get at fine grocery stores near you, Uh was fabulous. Um I what was I doing at 11? I mean, nothing impressive, really. Probably trying to draw in the lines of my coloring books, but Michaela is heading up her own company not only because you know, she wants to make really delicious lemonade and wants to be a, you know, a badass entrepreneur kid, a kid entrepreneur, but she wants to do it to save the bees. She was stung by two bees in a week and was like, screw the bees. I hate them and I'm scared of them. And then she realized she learned about what was happening in our world because the bees are dying. The colony collapse disorder. Yeah. And she was like, I can do something. This this kid. I mean, and this all started when she was much younger, like four or five. But anyway. She was in diapers. She yes, she was in utero, and she's like, "Mom, we've got to do something."
1: I'm getting stung by all these bees in here.
0: <laughs> what is happening? Why are there so many bees in your uterus? Um, I think that is a hysterical uterus. Um, but this is a th- there's a transition here because I loved hearing from Michaela as a young entrepreneur who's so driven and level headed and clearly just amazing and comfortable speaking in front of five thousand people. Yeah. Uh, P.S. But Michaela introduced the president of the United States when he got up and spoke. And I you know, I I did not expect to go to this conference, this summit and say that the president was my favorite speech, was my favorite segment because there were so many amazing women and amazing things being discussed and important topics being discussed. But for our country's, and I mean, I talked about this on social media because it was so overwhelming, but for our country's first black president to get up on stage and proudly shout the names of so many important women in our country's history who have shaped this country and shaped it for the better. I mean, my mind was blown with the awesomeness. I mean, he even gave a shout out to Polly Murray and Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the same breath. And I mean... I I gave a, a hoot from the back when he when he said Polly Murray's name by the time he got to Rosa Parks I was crying I was crying it was amazing and he didn't just mention
1: Rosa Parks like one one thing about yeah the speech he wasn't just name checking he was also contextualizing so he described Rosa Parks as a quote civil rights leader with the eye of a strategist and the heart of a warrior which is like Yes, she absolutely was, because a lot of times Rosa Parks is condensed just down to a tired woman who just wants to take a seat on the bus when, in fact, she had been working for the NAACP for years. Um, and at the end, when he quoted Audrey Lorde saying that uh, this is a story we're going to keep telling to our girls so that they'll see that they, too, are America confident and courageous and in the words of Audrey Lord, deliberate and afraid of nothing.
0: Yeah, fist pumping man. And
1: uh, yeah, to you see, you see your president quoting Audrey Lord, and then also before that, um, quoting Shirley Chisholm um, was, even though I realized that we we walked out of the convention back into quote unquote reality and um, a very fraught time politically.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: was a nice moment to have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, he also said, and Kristen posted this on our Instagram, uh, and I don't remember if he posted to our Facebook or not, but he definitely said this is what a feminist looks like. Yeah, that's how he kicked off. And like, obviously,
1: I'm too old to have ever seen the Beatles, but the reaction of (laughs) 5,000 women. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I am much too old to have seen (laughs) those quote unquote mop tops. Um it it really I felt like it was the closest I'd ever been to a Beatles concert cuz these women were <laughs> losing it all different kinds of women all different kinds of women <laughs> and men just losing it um and to end the day seeing Oprah interview Michelle Obama was uh oh. kind of unreal but
0: what I love is that Oprah who uh, is self-aware and hilarious, definitely did her Oprah voice in introducing Michelle Obama. So, uh, unfortunately, all of us did not get cars. No, but I definitely seal clapped with excitement because they are amazing women. And the fact that they, I watched them in the same room speak to each other was incredible. And uh, they have plans to go shopping. So uh, that's another time I wish I were someone's sneaker and I could accompany them on their on their adventures. Well, of course
1: seeing celebs like Oprah, one of another one of my uh, lady crushes, Connie Britton, Mariska Hargitay and others on stage was very exciting on on multiple levels. A of course to see celebrities, but also to see celebrities championing causes that we talk about on stuff mom never told you all the time. Um, for instance, Mariska Hargitay um, is very vocal against uh, domestic violence. Uh, Connie Britton was introducing Cecile Richards, you know, Planned Parenthood president. Um, but that morning, it was Jaha Dukhore, who's the founder of Safe Hands for Girls, who left the biggest impression on me because she started the first youth-led movement against female genital mutilation in Gambia. And not only did she speak openly about the female genital mutilation that she experienced when she was very, very young, but of course she also spoke out against it and talked about, (laughs) I think she said, just like Beyonce, she's going to keep making lemonade out of her lemons, and she has devoted her life to ending This practice. And that's the kind of stuff that inspires me so much because it's like, yay, Connie Britton, I love your hair and Mm -hmm. and you're beautiful. But to hear a woman who had probably very little resources to start out with, who is now on stage, selected by the White House to speak before all of these women about this incredibly important work that she's doing, that probably makes a lot of people uncomfortable to hear about Mm -hmm. um, because it is such a specific and graphic form of violence against women Um, I was inspired and also just happy to see that that was part of the conversation that day that it wasn't just fluff of like here's a celebrity bringing out you know a feel good message Right, education for girls like of course we need education for girls but there are like real hard issues that we need to confront, not just in the U.S., but around the world.
0: Yeah, I thought that was such a strong point of the summit in that, you know, they had these big speakers come out. You know, Joe Biden spoke for an hour. But then after each big, quote unquote, speaker, they did bring out a handful of on the ground activists who have been fighting for these causes uh, as part of their life's work. And so, I, yeah, I was also absolutely inspired by Jokere, who leads the Safe Hands for Girls movement, which is there to fight female genital mutilation, but also to support survivors. And speaking of survivors, you had
1: survivors of sexual assault, of transgender discrimination, of racism, of all of these Different issues coming up to champion causes, but also openly share about the discrimination and sometimes outright violence that they faced.
0: Yeah, and some people that we heard from, uh, from the It's On Us campaign, which is to end campus sexual assault and violence, um, encouraged the audience to take the pledge on their website. To commit to keeping both women and men safe and not just be a bystander who ignores the very real problem of sexual assault and violence on campuses, which, of course, is a huge issue that people are talking about more and more now. And so it was people like this who were really working to bring visibility to these issues and. Not just have it, like you said, be a feel good, fluffy celebrity conference, but have it encourage and inspire people to take real action outside once they left. And that's the question, though. Like, will we, will this
1: inspire real world action? Um, Will it have maybe a more significant political impact than that 1977? still significant um, National Women's Conference, because these kinds of events that you and I get to go to sometimes are very inspiring when you are there in the room and you are surrounded by all of these people. But then you kind of pull back a little bit and you see. Like, oh, there are a lot of like corporate entities here. Oh, there are a lot of celebrities here. Oh, there are a lot of, not necessarily in this case, um, but it, in other cases, like, oh, there's, there's a lot of just like swag here. Like, what are, what is all of this really amounting to? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it's, it's a nice moment for the Obama administration and particularly that White House Council on Women, Women and Girls, which who knows if it will be around with the next administration for them to, you know, kind of pass along that torch, so to speak. Um, but, I, but I do want it, the skeptical side of me wonders, like, is it going to make a difference? But while the cynical side of me questions whether it will make any tangible difference in the lives, particularly, of marginalized communities that need these resources and these rights um, the most... The optimistic side of me says the fact that very that it even happened and how it happened and that there were so many celebrities on hand to openly talk about feminism and gender equality is a sign that we have moved the needle since 1977, that this isn't just, you know, some niche topic that we recognize that women's rights are human rights.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that the difference between this summit and the one in the 70s was that this was more of a top down mandate of the White House saying, let's make a change. Let's bring all these people together. And the more I thought about it over the course of our conversation, the more I have to say, I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. I think it's right. But I think what it is, is that the White House, the the administration is recognizing Everyone who is at the bottom working up. And so it's almost more like a meeting in the middle that we're finally and, and I'm hoping that we can have some magical chemical reaction that happens when moving from the top down and moving from the bottom up when they finally meet, because we do. It feels like we're having this groundswell of of um, awareness about activism and about issues that that impact women and society uh, including men and children as well, um, but these people have always been there. These activists have always been working and pushing and struggling to get new laws passed to end violence and et cetera, et cetera. And so, I think it's it's not so much from the bottom up or the top down, but a finally, uh, finally a coming together.
1: Yeah, and I'm like. Forty five minutes late to note this. You're absolutely right, because most of those 5000 people in the audience were women from around the country who were nominated by their communities, but also identified by the White House as being change agents for women and girls in particular Mm -hmm. in their hometowns.
0: And do you know who one of those women was who was not able to attend our very own Raquel Willis? who was uh, has appeared on a couple of our Sminty episodes now, talking about trans rights and visibility and media. And she was nominated to attend and couldn't go. And so, I mean, there you go. That's a wonderful illustration of just a, a glimpse into who was in that audience that day. It's people like Raquel who really fight for rights of people on the ground, Every day she's pushing for change. And so to imagine kind of gives you chills to think about uh, 5,000 Raquel's and (laughs) and 5,000 people who are really working to to save lives and change the world.
1: So it's a reminder then to look around our communities at the people who are doing the work because they are there. And if they're not there, you can become a change agent. And also it underscores the importance of political participation. Because if you want people who will continue this kind of work in the federal government, you gotta vote them in.
0: Yeah, and and call and be obnoxious to your Congress people. Can you text them? I I would vote to just uh, vote. Uh, I would vote that you obsessively call. <laughs> Let them hear your voice. I
1: don't know. Text messages can get pretty annoying. (laughs) I can be very persistent with my emojis. Um, But listeners, um, this was really great to be able to share this with you. And we're curious if anyone listening was also there. Um, There's all sorts of media coverage about more specifics of the summit, um, which we will post in the podcast um, link to this. If you want to read more about it, Um, but we'd just love to know your thoughts. What do you think the United State of Women is today? Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook.
0: And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I have a letter here from Emily in response to our Rom-Com Sidekicks episode. She says, Hey ladies, I love your series on Rom-Coms, but I've noticed that you haven't mentioned any musicals so far. There are so many musicals that are simply Rom-Coms with song and dance numbers. Mamma Mia, Hairspray, and Grease first come to mind. I thought of this when listening to your podcast on rom-com besties. When you were talking about second bananas, the first example to pop into my head was from Singing in the Rain. In the film, Donald O'Connor plays Cosmo Brown, who is second banana to main man Don Lockwood, played by Gene Kelly. All of his songs are comedic and energetic, such as Make Em Laugh, while Gene Kelly sings all the crooning, lovey-dovey songs like Singing in the Rain. Also, when you mention the second banana may be more effeminate or sexually ambiguous, I realized that all of the songs Donald O'Connor sings sound similar to some of the songs the main lady, Debbie Reynolds, sings. She does get a few lovey-dovey songs since she is the main love interest, but she also sings bubblier songs like Good Morning. While they're not comedy pieces, they are lighter songs used to fluff out the movie, much like make 'em Laugh. It's interesting to me that even the second banana songs are effeminate as well. So thank you, Emily. So I've got a letter here from Liz about our
1: sidekicks rom-com episode. And she writes, I was amazed that you guys skipped over She's All That. 17 years later, and that film is still an absolute delight with some choice sidekicks. We've got Paul Walker as the sexy scumbag second banana, Duel Hill, Lil' Kim, Gabrielle Union, and Usher as the somewhat token black friends. You have Anna Paquin and Kieran Culkin as the sibling sidekicks. And one of the Bash brothers from the Mighty Ducks is a wholly non-sexual man friend. The only thing she's all that is missing is Judy Greer as the clumsy yet relatable teacher. But my personal favorite sidekick is Gabrielle Union and 10 Things I Hate About You. Her transition from vapid pretty friend to snidekick is cinematic genius, the likes of which my nine-year-old self had never seen. And she quotes Gabrielle Union's character saying, I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? (laughs) I actually, side note, I think about that all the time. (laughs) It's a great quote. Even now, I can't help but give Chastity the begrudging respect she deserves for being the only other freshman who got invited to prom. So, thanks, Liz, and thanks to everybody who's written in to us. stuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and sources, so you can learn more about the United State of Women and the Sisters of 77, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. More on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love.